0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Hello there and good evening. You're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme this evening, I'm looking forward to welcoming a fellow West Limerick lady to the studio to talk about wine with a difference. After that, I'll be heading to the phone to put a call into Wales to talk to Shauna Gwynne about the resounding success of Hangfire Barbecue and what we can expect at this weekend's Big Grill Fest in Dublin. Then it's an interview by Skype which is a first for me on the show and you're going to hear me talking to Daniel Klein from the Perennial Plate who are coming to visit Ireland in the autumn and they're looking for your suggestions as to where they should visit during their two-month trip. And then finally at the end of the show we're heading across the border to celebrate the Northern Ireland year of food and drink August theme which is love meat and I'll be talking to meat merchant Peter Hannan. Before we welcome our first guest, here's how to get in touch with me. You can send me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at queenoforg as in queen of organisation. So tonight's first guest joins me in the studio. Tricia Kelly has travelled from Foynes in West Limerick this evening to tell us about her business startup, Irish Pete Wines. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Tricia, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks very much for having me. You've come all the way from Foynes with your wine. You're making
1: wine. This is something very unique and new to West Limerick. Yeah, it is. It's um, been a long time in the making now. Um, Three years ago, we came up with the idea. And from then there, there was trial and error and ups and downs. But well, we have a finished product now that we're very proud of.
0: Now, this is you and your pal, Brandon.
1: Brendan Redden, yeah.
0: So tell us a bit about yourselves. You're from Foynes and Brandon's from Shannon Golden.
1: Yeah, um, I met Brendan in college, actually, in Watford. I know Foynes and Shannon Golden aren't that far away from each other, but it took us college before we actually met and became proper friends. Um, after college, then, we both travelled a bit separately, um, Australia, America, and we did the vineyards everywhere we went. Huge interest in wine for both of us. But afterwards, um, Brendan actually was in America about four years ago. It was peat, whiskey, everywhere. And Brendan doesn't drink whiskey, he drinks wine. So he came up with the idea, would it work with wine? And that's where I came in. He came to me with the idea and he asked me, what I, did, did I think it would work? And I said I did, and we started working on it then. And, you know, like I said, trial and error. At that stage, were you studying culinary arts at LIT? I had actually finished um study, and I had um, moved home. The recession had hit. Things had happened in the hotel sector, so I moved home and started doing outside catering for my parents' shop business. So um, I had the background in the food, and I knew that my experience would help.
0: Here it is. You brought in a bottle of it. It's called Irish peat wine. I have to say it's a very impressive looking bottle of wine. The packaging and everything looks spot on. You must have spent a lot of time getting this right as well as the
1: actual contents. Um, We did again. And this is kind of phase two. We were kind of trying to decide whether we wanted to go simple and elegant or if we wanted to stand out against the crowd as well. And we are a product that's completely new to the market, so we wanted to stand out from the crowd, and that's what we came up with. So how does somebody go
0: about making a peat wine? How is the peat incorporated into it?
1: Um, that's a secret ingredient now. We can't give away too much information. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, it has been three years in the making. Um, but we do the peating process ourselves um, and then we bring that to Germany with us and we infuse it in the wine then after that. So the grape is, what sort of grape is it it's from Germany? It's a Pinot Noir grape and it's from the Rheinheisen region and we were very lucky to meet um, a expert winemaker um, who we went to with our idea and he thought, crazy Irish people. He put peat in everything. He actually came on his honeymoon here to Ireland so he knew exactly about the smell of it and how it kind of influences you and makes you feel like you're at home so he knew that but so he was actually willing to work on it with us but still i think he, when we finally had the finished product i think he was amazed that it was a proper wine but you know it's it's the integrity of the wine is there it's peated second first and foremost it is a wine um, but it's been it's been brilliant so you're obviously very proud of the product it is designed for the tourist market it is well, both. It, it is a good wine. Any person who enjoys a glass of wine will appreciate it and they'll appreciate the hard work that went into it because every glass of wine is complex. Like the water content of the soil, the mineral content of the soil, all those things actually affect the quality of the grape. And then to try and influence it with the peat afterwards, it is actually very difficult and it's, the structure of the wine is where you, it might fall down. Try to blend the two of them and marry them together. So that was the biggest issue we had. And like we did, I think it was 30 different types of trials to do it before we came up with the way we wanted to do it. Um, and this is the one that came up trumps over all of the rest of them, And it is like that first and foremost the wine.
0: So whenever you're doing the trials, are you using different types of grapes or different types of ratios, for example? Originally,
1: it was different types of grapes.
0: And then you have to let them sit for a certain period of time and then
1: you taste them? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, So we had different grapes. We kind of had narrowed it down to maybe three before we started doing our trials by, you know, taste and what we thought would would work well and how it would influence it and whether the wine was full-bodied itself. Um, So we picked Pinot Noir, after maybe the first six trials, we had narrowed it down to Pinot Noir, and then it was the influence of the peat and how much time to give it. And, you know, then how, you know, sugar content, all of that things, you, towards the end of it, filtration as well, like it loses some of the peatiness or smokiness through the last filtration. So you have to try and, it's a bit of a guessing game the first time around to see what level you want at first to allow for the loss of it in the last filtration. So, I mean, it was, that's why the trials were there, to get to where we wanted to be. Were there lots of trips back and forth to Germany? Yes, lots of holidays, I'd say, because obviously we didn't share this with anybody. We were keeping it a secret until we knew we could do it, because we didn't want all the questions and the pressure from everybody going, well, how's it going now? So it was a complete secret. So we were using our own holiday time for the last three years to go
0: over and work on this. And this one says 2012 on it. Mm-hmm. So is it a case of every year you're making a certain number in a batch to see how it goes? Because you'd said earlier to me before we started recording that there's 500 bottles
1: available to buy at the moment. Yeah. Um, 2012 is the grape that we used. So that's the one we started doing our trials with. Um, so when we had the, the process right, we made a bigger batch. And this is the bigger batch, the result of the bigger batch of wine. So that's why it's 2012. Um, we also have a 2014 and a 2015, also in the process at the moment. Okay. So if you were to
0: describe it to somebody, you were talking about full body and like all this lingo, the wine lingo that that,
1: that is there. How would you describe it to a wine lover? To a wine lover. Okay. Um, first of all, the colour. Normally, a Pinot Noir would have a straw red colour. Ours has a ruby red colour, and that's the influence of the peat. It kind of warms it and deepens the colour. Then when you're giving it a nose, you do get all the characteristics of a Pinot Noir. So you do get the currants and the cherries. They're there. We've used mocha in it as well. Um, It just helps to round the flavour and take away some of the sharpness of the peat. And then at the back of it all, you just get the peat. For the taste, you have a lovely warm feeling in your mouth when you drink it it has a lovely velvety lingering feeling and at the back of it in the wash is what they say and um, in the back of the the wine you get this lovely smokiness and that's what lingers in your mouth and it's there for a good minute afterwards after you get it's
0: it's really really nice the other question i always ask ron Forrestal, who's our resident wine guru that comes onto the show is like what what food do you pair it with food or is it a standalone
1: drink um, you can pair it with food. We've had it, at, we had our launch there recently and at the launch we served scallops and duck and carpaccio beef and then for the vegetarians we did a creamy leek quiche with g- gouda cheese and all went perfectly well with it. They were delicious. Like We, we actually sat down with a bottle of wine. It was completely <laughs> research. Um, we sat down with a bottle of wine and we discussed what foods we thought would go well with it and that's the menu we came up with. Um, we had a critique there by a food and wine critic from Dublin last week, and he said it works very well with food, and you know, it, it's a standalone wine, you can drink it, it doesn't have to be had with food, but you can pair it with just about anything, it's really versatile. And uh, something else we should point out is screw top, and this was a deliberate decision. It was, because um, peatine has never been done with wine before, and we didn't know what affected the real cork would have on the wine and whether it would taint the taste so just as a precautionary measure for the first batch we said we go with screw cap we have done a, sa- a sample as well with the cork and we know now that it works so the next batch will actually be proper cork so you'll have the choice when you go to the shops to buy either screw cap or the cork and it's best enjoyed young again um precautionary measure um it's a new product we didn't know how it would sell her so we have told people that it, to enjoy it young they might drink more of it that way as well. So.
0: <laughs> no, it is a premium product, as we've said, so usually premium products do attract a premium price, so tell us how much it is a bottle. Um, it retails at 39.95, so you've say 40 euros. And where can people buy it if they're looking to, to stock up on it and to give it a try? Where can they get um, their hands well, on
1: it? Our website will be coming soon, and a will list a full list of stockists, but at the moment it will be available in the and Shop Street in Galway and the Foynes Flying Boat Museum and over the next two or three weeks it'll be going into several other places. And before your website gets up and running you have a Facebook page so people can get in touch with you there? Uh, Yeah it's BT Wines um, Facebook and if anybody wants to buy a bottle or just find out more information they're more than welcome to contact us there
0: well a fabulous uh, fabulous looking product anyway i'm looking forward to trying it thanks so much for coming in tonight to tell us about it and congratulations thanks on much, i mean it is innovation definitely yeah. it is innovation so well done thank you very much cheers, cheers.
2: chin chin salut Schleiter.
0: Thanks again to Tricia and you can't deny the level of innovation in coming up with a wine product that incorporates Irish peat. So fair play to Tricia and to Brandon. Next week we hope to have Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants back in the studio and I'm sure he'll have some more traditional wine suggestions for us. In the meantime, still to come tonight I'll be Skyping Daniel Klein from the Perennial Plate who are coming to visit Ireland in the autumn and they're looking for your suggestions as to where they should visit during their two month trip. And finally, at the end of the show, we'll be heading across the border to celebrate the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink August theme, which is Love Meat, with meat merchant Peter Hannon. But before that, Shauna Gwynne is one of the UK's leading ladies in all things barbecue, and she'll be sharing her expertise at this weekend's Big Grill Fest in Dublin's Herbert Park. She's a great story to tell, and I'm delighted that she's on the line now to do just that. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Shauna, you're welcome to the programme this evening.
3: Well, howdy, cowgirl. <laughs> howdy.
0: You have a great story to tell now because it's not everybody that decides to pack in the career, a very good job that you had and your partner, and you took off around America to to cook food in a barbecue. That, that's making it sound very simplistic, but that's that's kind of the well, gist of what happened.
3: Well, I think we uh, we had these big careers that we decided that, you know, we want to set up our own business. We knew it was going to be food. We were sort of becoming obsessed with uh, American barbecue when we were already living in London. We had a little smoker in our back garden, and we thought, you know what? If we're going to set up a business in American barbecue, we need to go to the place where it all began. We need to go on a road trip. We need to discover the different regional variations of American barbecue. So that's exactly what we did.
0: Now that's taken market research to a whole new level, I think.
3: <laughs> oh, it was really hard. It was really tough. You know, spending six months traveling around Texas, uh, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, eating our way around some of the most amazing barbecue joints in the deep south of America. It was hard, really tough.
0: You must have met a number of different characters along the way.
3: Well, so many people were very welcoming. Um, In America, American barbecue is very, very male-dominated, so we were this kind of anomaly of two women coming from Britain to learn about American barbecue. I don't think they really took us seriously, but what it meant for us is they would take us backstage into their kitchens, they would show us uh, their pits, they would share their secrets with us, so it kind of worked in our favour
0: Barbecuing has really come on in leaps and bounds in the past couple of years. It's so much more than the disposable tin barbecue and the few burgers on it.
3: Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that barbecue is so popular in the southern states of America. It's because they get amazing weather, where for the vast majority of the year, you can sit outside and barbecue and practice, whereas you know what it's like in this country, in the UK. There's only like two days a year where you could be barbecuing. Uh, But I think what was also uh, kicked off is our love of smoked food. It's not just about grilling. So, for example, we specialize in American barbecue, which is slow smoked meat, uh, as opposed to direct grilling, which is what we're used to doing in the UK.
0: So you spent your six months doing your market research, your very on-the-ground market research. What what happened next?
3: So we uh, were living in the hills of Tennessee because obviously we're obsessed with uh, country music, folk music. That was a big part of our journey as well. The history of American barbecue is so steeped in bluegrass and folk and country music. So, you know, for us, you you can't disentangle all of those factors. Um, I think that then we were living in the hills of Tennessee. I emailed my friend who had a little pub, and we said, how about we just open up the pub as a little barbecue joint, and we'll just practice on your locals. And then uh, that just led to feeding hundreds and hundreds of people in this little backstreet boozer. Last year, we won the BBC Food and Farming Award for the best street food. Our cookbook, the Hangfire Cookbook, Recipes and Adventures in American Barbecue, is out there for all to see. We want to inspire people to start barbecuing for themselves.
0: Now, you said there about contacting your friends and their pub. Where, Where was their pub at?
3: So their pub was in a little suburb of Cardiff. Um, and really, it, you know, the pub trade was a kind of uh, dying game here in Wales. And we helped to revive that pub and keep it open for another year and a half. Well, that's what we did. We were we were the first uh, people in Wales to do a proper like, pop-up restaurant. We're still very one well, of very few women in Britain do an American barbecue. And I think with the very social media-driven way that we built it, almost in a cultish kind of following... Um, all those ingredients have just led to uh, one huge success in the last three years.
0: It is an amazing story now, I have to say. Like from You grew up in Belfast, you were in London, you were an academic in London, isn't that right?
3: <laughs> Well, I uh, always specialised in child protection. I'm an ex-social worker, ex-academic. Um, but what I do feel is all my years of social work uh, were much, much easier than uh, running a restaurant, which is what I currently do.
0: Well, you you run a restaurant now and let's talk about that because you're only opened 18 weeks and before you'd even opened your door, you had how many bookings?
3: We took 1,300 bookings in the first 24 hours. In the last 17 weeks, we fed 15,000 people. Uh, Next quarter for us is looking even busier again. Uh, It's an unbelievable, overwhelming success. We are housed in an absolutely beautiful building in South Wales, in Barry, a little seaside town, um, in an old 1883 Grade II listed building with a huge chimney. We've got one of the biggest handmade chimneys in Wales, which is so ironic, given that we're a smokehouse.
0: Is Barrie familiar to me because of Gavin and Stacey?
3: I think that that would be correct. Yeah, that okay. is exactly the yeah. kind that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the Welsh people have obviously been very receptive to your barbecue skills and expertise.
3: I think there is an authenticity with what we do. Um, we only use the best local Welsh meat. Uh, provenance is really important to us. Quality is really important to us. And every single thing we make, we make ourselves. So what, I, what people often say when they come to the restaurant is that they can taste the love. Because we do love this food and we do love uh, feeding people. And we're trying to do it as authentically as we can. But, you know, it's really hard work. And I think what people are buying into as well is when people want to go out and eat, now, they want that soul food. They want that handmade food. I think people are sick of stuff coming from factories into microwaves and onto a plate. And I hope that you taste the love in our food.
0: And you also love your equipment so much that you have named some of it, I believe.
3: (laughs) Well, we've got three, four smokers. We've got BB King, Dolly, Patsy, Hank. Um, We've got a big Texas girl called Big Mama Thornton. She's one of our favourite blue artists from Texas. And the smoker that we welded ourselves uh, is BB King. So we do tend to name all of our equipment. Oh, we've got one other really special piece of equipment. We have an Argentinian-style Perea grill that weighs a metric tonne. So we call him Lemmy. He's 940 kilos of heavy metal.
0: Where did you source all the equipment?
3: Um, We tend to reuse, recycle, uh, repurpose lots of different things that we find. So, for example, BB King was an old 200-litre air compressor tank, uh, which then we just cut and welded and fabricated all the various elements. You're going to need to learn to weld and you're going to need to find a really good metal good supplier if you've got those two two things you can build whatever you want
0: and were you welding yourself did you weld some of the equipment yourself no,
3: i had to learn we had to learn in the process but that's that's what's been fun about this american barbecue there's so many other skills that we've learned uh welding is just one of them but you know quite often the types because smoking as a concept is quite new in the uk it's often difficult to source exactly the type of smoker that you need or you want. So uh we thought well we'll just build it ourselves.
0: I I'm just totally gobsmacked by the whole story, but to bring the welding into it, it just it brings it to a whole <laughs> new level. It's like so a, it does. It's
3: like a scene from Flashdown. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs>
0: Well, the great news for listeners here in Ireland is that you're coming to Dublin this week for the Big Grill Festival, which starts on uh-huh. Thursday and runs until Sunday. What can we expect to see from you at that?
3: Well, we absolutely are thrilled that these guys invited us over because obviously me being Irish myself, it's a great thrill to actually finally do something in Ireland. Um, we're going to be doing some demos. We're going to be doing a Q&A. We're going to be talking about recipes from the cookbook and um, we're going to be bringing some lovely Welsh meat with us and demoing in various styles of Welsh meat and sides and sauces. So the book's plenty to see. will be on hand to answer any questions that you might have about American barbecue, grilling, smoking. Uh, we're, we're just thrilled to be there. We cannot wait.
0: Your book then, tell us a bit more about the book and the types of recipes that are in it. They're for people to make at home, I presume.
3: Yep, there's a whole mixture of stuff in there. You know, there's obviously stuff you can do in a smoker, Uh, But there's stuff that you can do on your grill. We do quite a lot of different sides and sauces. Uh, The cookbook really is more than a cookbook. It's more like our adventures uh, and recipes in American barbecue that we picked up along the way from a whole range of weird and wonderful people. It's a really interesting concept for two British women to go across to the UK and study their national cuisine and then reinvent it ourselves. Because... Even though we went on a road trip across America, the journey really began when we, when we came home because American barbecue is like a balance of art and science. There are scientific things happening to the meat when it's in the smoker, but it's also the art of learning that style of cooking. And, you know, we're still learning three and a half years in, and we're still learning every day is a school day.
0: There's no doubting the the passion and the energy that you have whenever you're just listening to your talk and I would imagine that those have been major contributors to your success but what other ingredients, if you excuse the pun, would you say have, have, have brought you to this point where you, you get 1,300 bookings in less than 24 hours for your new restaurant?
3: Um, I would say social media has been a huge part of it. Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, all free methods of advertising. Um, I think what, what happened is, Sam obviously being a creative director in a previous career and my previous career, we have very many transferable skills that we can bring across. So we were able to do the vast majority of building the little business ourselves, whether it was to do with uh, website design or branding or, or social media. Um, but what really, our, the, the real success for us is an unwavering focus on the quality of the food. And trying to replicate and, and and make authentic versions of what we tasted on the road trip in America, and I think that's what people have really bought into.
0: Well, I hope now that um, we'll get a chance to try it this weekend in Dublin, as I well, said. Coming down, I'll yeah. be there. I'll be there you're at some stage. I will. Yep.
3: I'm sure you come and say hello. I hope you like meat.
0: Oh, I do. I love it. Yep, I oh, love it.
3: You've got to. You've got to like meat to like us.
0: well I like meat now and I like you I like you're from Northern Ireland how could I not like a fellow Northern Irish woman
3: it's a deal you bring the beer we'll bring the meat I'll see you at the weekend
0: fantastic and for listeners that are interested in going along this weekend the website is biggrillfestival.com Shauna it's been a pleasure talking to you this evening thanks so much for your time
3: thank you so much and I'll see you at the grill people
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, we've heard about a new wine that incorporates Irish peat from Tricia Kelly of BT Wines in West Limerick. And just before the break, Hangfire Barbecue's Shauna Gwynne was on the phone telling us about her wonderful story, which included adventure and barbecuing in the USA. And don't forget to look out for her and Sam if you're at this weekend's Big Grill Fest in Herbert Park, Ballsbridge, Dublin. If you've missed any of the shows so far, it will be up on the podcast later in the week and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, we'll be heading across the border to celebrate the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink August theme, which is love meat. And I'll be talking to meat merchant Peter Hannan. But before that, I have an interview to share with you that I recorded earlier by Skype. Daniel Klein is based in the USA and he's part of the Perennial Plate. What is that, I hear you ask. Well, let's hear Daniel answer that very question. Cheers. Chin chin.
2: Salut. Salut. The Perennial Plate is the documentary series that my wife and I have been doing for the last... Uh, five or six years and it's enabled us to travel around the united states and around the world making short films about sustainable food producers and uh, we had made about 150 short films when we had a baby
0: fantastic
2: <laughs> and and uh his name's james and he's a year and a half old now and we um, because our work required us to travel so much we began to out how we could do it. we went on a couple of trips with him to and stayed at you know a hotel for a night and then switched hotels and realized that that's not really very fun for a baby um, So we began to think of, for, about ideas for ways to, to do our work but in a, in a manner that we could stay together as a family um, and so we came up with the idea of spending a season in various places in the world. We spend a spring, a summer, a fall, a winter. Um, and instead of jumping around from place to place, we, you know, uh, stay at in someone's home or at an Airbnb for an extended period of time and really get to know a place. And instead of just making two or three films, we make ten films. So it's really an opportunity to kind of dive into a region and get to know it better and also be together as a family and kind of live the life that we want to live. So... Um, when we thought about this idea, we obviously came up with uh, top choices of places that we would love to spend, you know, a season in. Um, and Ireland was one of them. We had um, been to Ireland for a Bali um literary festival a couple of years ago, and um, had kind of used it as a semi-honeymoon. We traveled to Dingle as well during our stay there, and just loved it, loved the people, loved the food, loved the music, um, and so we wanted to come back, and, um, uh, we got, so we reached out to, uh, Ireland Tourism, to, um, and some people we knew through our connections from Valley and, um, and it worked out. (laughs) So it was a really nice surprise, and we were honored that, um, that Ireland wanted to work with us to make these films and appreciated that they really understood kind of our our vision for our, what we do and how um, food and people and stories are really the reason that we travel and how us making short films about food and people would make people want to come to Ireland, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> Before
0: you come now, you're, you're going to arrive around September time, I believe, but you're appealing to the Irish public to help you identify where you should go. And I think there's three different areas that you're looking at. The Wild Atlantic Way, Ireland's Ancient East and Visit Dublin, which are the three Vulture Ireland tourism brands. How can people then help you in establishing where you should visit whenever you're here? We can only do so much research on the internet and in reading to
2: find out about a place. Um, The stories that are really unique to a country or a region often come from uh, people who live there and their neighbor down the road that only a handful of people know about. Because we are we as a a documentary series aren't as interested in you know the famous chefs and the people who've been um, featured on the news, you know, and, and bigger names, but really the, the unheard of stories. Um, and so to find those stories, it, it can be quite difficult and take a bit of time and, and searching. So we like to reach out to people in the countries and the places that we're going to to really uncover those unique people and stories that we just wouldn't come across in our, in our own research
0: Basically, the hidden gems that you're looking for.
2: It is the hidden gems, and it's kind of the stories that... uh, An example I like to tell is of... um, We were in Sri Lanka, and we were doing a story about an organic tea farm, and the film really didn't end up being about tea, but about um, an arranged marriage love story that was very sweet. So, although the topic is food, and we're looking for stories about... Uh, people doing you know great things to protect their fisheries or a fantastic uh, butter that a, a farmer or artisan makes. Also, we're looking for that story behind the story, um, which is which is hard to find, but maybe individuals in those places know know those stories and they know that their neighbor has a great history to tell, you know?
0: What has the response been to date from the Irish people? Have you got lots of interaction with them? I know there's a survey online that people can fill in and people have been posting on your Facebook page as well.
2: We've gotten a great response so far, but we could um, use a lot more. Um, So I'm happy that we're speaking with you today and hopefully reaching out to some other folks. Um, We just posted it on on, um, our Facebook page and Um, it'll be going out to a wider audience within Ireland uh, soon as well. So between that and our own research and just kind of also when we arrive in Ireland in September, um, we'll have a lot of things planned out. But because we're going to be spending two months there, there is a little bit of room for us to uncover and discover some things ourselves.
0: Yeah, two months is a, is a long time in Ireland because we are obviously a small country, so you'll be able to see an awful lot of the country, if not all of it, in that time frame, I would imagine.
2: The first place we visited for this new series was Colorado, which is a huge state within the United States um, with mountains. And every drive is about five or six hours long to get to these different places. I think it doesn't take much more than that to get across the whole country of Ireland. So we're really looking forward to being in a, in a small country that has um, so much to offer and where we can see a lot of it, you know, it'll be really nice. But also looking forward to exploring, but also spending time in the, in the places that we're, we're going to be staying and, and not rushing around too much, but just enjoying kind of living in a place a little bit.
0: You said about being in Ballymaloe at Litfest a couple of years ago, so you've made some connections with Ireland and the Irish people. Are you planning to catch up with anybody that you met at that festival?
2: We certainly hope to go back, even if we're not filming at Ballymaloo, but to go visit uh, the friends that we made there. We've also done work with JP over at Galloway, and Donald uh, lives in uh, Los Angeles now. I think he comes back to Ireland a lot, so I'm hoping to connect and hang out with him as well. So there, there's a few people that that we'll connect with. I also, as many Amer- Americans have Irish heritage, so with a bit of time, um, I'm gonna be asking my grandmother where I need to visit to go back home, where her family's from. She's a Doyle. Yeah, we're just looking forward to kind of yeah meeting people and and you know the Irish people. <laughs> are so friendly that I not. Um, have no doubt that we'll make lots of new friends as well on our on our stay because of our son coming along with us we are going to stay basically a month in the east and a month in the west and um, then when we go out on trips to film in, in places that are more than a couple hours away then we'll also you know stay at bed and breakfasts and hotels in various regions, various parts of the country but We'll have a base where we can set up a crib for, their, for James and we've got a few family members coming to visit so to babysit. My parents and Mira's, my wife's parents as well are going to come over and spend a week babysitting James while we go off filming. So that'll be fun.
0: So it's a real family holiday combined with work, which is ideal.
2: I've always thought that if you have the opportunity to do something that you love, you should do it. And finding a way to create a lifestyle that where your work is also what you love and enjoy. So telling these stories is a is a passion of ours. And although it can be grueling to edit edit, to go through you know six hours of footage to create a six minute film, and be quite time consuming, there is a lot of joy in meeting and telling these great stories, and then craft being creative and crafting them. So we yeah try to create a whole uh, lifestyle for ourselves in which we can work and live and play kind of simultaneously through what we do.
0: What were you doing before you started The Perennial Plate?
2: The Perennial Plate started out of kind of combining three things, three passions of mine, which was uh, social justice and environmental activism, cooking and filmmaking. Right out of college, I had made a feature-length documentary film and while editing that, I had started to work in restaurant kitchens in New York City, and happened to get a job at a very uh, wonderful restaurant from Thomas Keller, who's a great American chef. Uh, that kind of what uh, set me down a culinary path, working in kitchens in New York and England and Spain. And um, I was going to open a restaurant in my home state of Minnesota. Um, kind of re- did a last minute reassessment and on a bit of a whim, started a web series about eating locally in, in Minnesota all year round. And the, the, sh- the series took off. It was the early days of, of web series, and people responded to it. So it's just kind of had a life of its own, and we've followed its trajectory from Minnesota to the U.S., to the world, and then now to
0: Ireland, Well, we're very much looking forward to welcoming you in September. Tell me how the listeners should get in touch with you to to let you know where they think you should visit when you're here.
2: Going to our Facebook page or our website are great ways of doing that. You visit theperennialplate.com. There's a, a blog entry about it and also an info section, of our contact section of our website which people can email us. And then... Through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever anyone says you know sends us a great message, we'll we'll listen to it. I can send you the, the link to the survey that we have as well, which is a really helpful way for us to get that information out and have it kind of in an organized way. So, um, but they can find that on Facebook and on our website as well.
0: Okay, perfect. And whenever you're here, will you call to see us in County Limerick and and have a chat with us on the show?
2: Yeah, that would be great. We'd love to. I'm sure we'll be making it through Limerick. I've heard it's a lovely town, so it would be nice.
0: Well, Daniel, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great to Skype. This has been a new and novel way for me to interview somebody on the radio show, and we'll keep in touch until your visit in September. Okay,
2: great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was on Skype with Daniel Klein from The Perennial Plate who are coming to Ireland for two months in September and need your suggestions about where they should visit. And earlier in the show we heard about a new wine that incorporates Irish peat from Tricia Kelly of BT Wines in West Limerick and Hangfire Barbecue's Shauna Gwynne was on the phone telling us her wonderful story of adventure and barbecues. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's to celebrate the August theme of the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink. This month, it's love meat. So who better to talk to than meat merchant Peter Hannan?
1: Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. Well, Peter, congratulations! You have clocked up a number of great taste awards this year again.
4: Okay, look, Sharon, it's been a it's been a tremendous year um, um, with 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 our results, and we had taken a gap year last year. Um, we had had three very successful years before, and so we just tossed a little bit of distance, and we took a gap year last year. And we felt an awful vacuum because it's an initiative that were very very supportive Um great taste is a tremendous um scheme where people can submit their food and have it appraised by a um a group of people who really don't care who makes it um or anything like that it's all about the taste of it so um it's been very good to us it's been very good to ireland and um, it's been particularly good for Northern Ireland in the last number of years and as I say we don't see a year where we wouldn't be part of it um, going forward. It's a it's a lovely thing and uh, granted when you have some, some success as I say that's a lovely thing but we'd encourage anybody who's producing foods to be part of it because it really is a benchmark for where you are at with your food.
0: Four sets of three stars like that is very impressive. Tell us about those four products.
4: Well, I, all of them this time round. Um we were very fortunate two years ago when we were in it, we actually received seven um and they were all for it's all for meat. This time round they were all for beef. Um two of them are um cuts or joints of our Glenarm uh, short beef, which we age in a particular way using Himalayan salt. We built some aging chambers, as I say, where one of the main components of it is um the use of Himalayan salt to control bacteria so as we can age in a good way for a prolonged period of time. The average ageing we do is about 45 to 50 days. Um, one of the chambers has about 5 tonne of salt and The second one has 16.5 tonne and we've 27 tonne landing here next week where we're building another two just to sort of keep up with um, the requirement for it. So um, yeah, those were the two Glenarm shorthorn joints and the other two are um, a very humble cut which we treat in a, in, in, in a different way. Both of them were brisket, one which we cure um, and then we submerge it in a blend of sugars um, for 10 days and we call it sugar pit brisket. And then the second one was a pastrami brisket, once again, which we dry cure and then we apply a pastrami rub to it and one thing and another. And they're both low and slow, very economical, affordable, and truly delicious cuts. Brisket's a cut that has been sort of a little bit overlooked in recent times. Um, and we've our, our sort of um, goal is to revive a lot of the lesser cuts because you can eat wonderfully well and very affordably um, using the likes of cheek and tail and, and brisket. And some of the lesser known um, cuts that are wonderful. They just take a little bit longer to prepare. Um, but sure, if you have the time, why not? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I think people are becoming more aware of that. And cooking low and slow is very popular. And of course, barbecuing at this time of the year is very popular also.
4: It's it's wonderful. And, and we're truly delighted um, to see the, this this trend revived. Because, I mean, my, my mother, God rest her, as I say, um, you know, we we'd had a full beast in the freezer. So you have to use every single part of it. Um, we were brought up on a farm and you put your full carcass of lamb and beef and uh, pork in it so you had to use every bit of it and, and the, the most delicious things came from a lot of the very very humble cuts and you know in in better times should we say we kind of forgot about them and our time was more precious and we didn't spend the time preparing things and, and you know bringing something in the oven this evening for tomorrow evening dinner in Montana. it's lovely to see those things um retrieved because you know you really can eat t- terribly terribly well and um, and very affordably just by um, the way that um, different cuts are treated so yeah we were terribly well pleased as a couple of those rose to the top and then we had 15 um things that just made and uh, fell short and made two stars um, and they were primarily beef and there was some lamb some of product in there as well but um yeah, great great taste has been um it has been wonderful. I mean on the island of Ireland this year, I mean we really have um, we really have shown tremendous results all round and it's a monument to the passion that a lot of a lot of small artisan producers um are coming up through the ranks and these people will be very, very successful because they're making very good food.
0: Now you mentioned there about growing up in the farm and that farm was in Kildare.
4: It was.
0: (laughs) I'm sure the listeners are aware that the Moorhannon Meats is based in Moira County Down. That's not a County Down accent. No more that mine is a County Limerick accent.
4: No, no. I came up here 32 years ago for 20 minutes and I never went home. Um, It's just, look, it's been lovely. Um, Been been up here. It's been very good to us. And one thing around, we were, um, you know, we were always only a skip down the roads to go down home um and yeah we we've, we've been here we've been here for a long time and as they were um we're over 30 years in business here and um we get out of the bed very early every morning not because we have to but because we love to and that's a very very luxurious um position we're very privileged and fortunate to be in that position but we just love what we do and um, we hope a little bit of that spills over into the product that we produce and that's probably the secret if you're passionate about something as I say you'll always do better at it it's all I always say the difference between good and great in every walk of life is the same thing it's attention to detail and if you're passionate about something you will give it a little bit more love care and attention than one thing or so that's what we try and do when we get out of bed in the morning
0: and your passion has taken you all over the world and your beef is stocked in various different countries and used in in different restaurants such as uh, there's one particular restaurant in Portugal that uses it.
4: There is. We were down there for a little break and um, we're only home about 10 days from down there and yeah that came out of just meeting people while we were on holiday and having a conversation and, and they followed us home and came over and liked what we were doing and um, it fitted with their business but Look, we're we're we're, we're hugely um, fortunate in that we have um, the most wonderful partners. We're only one we're only one link in the chain. Our producer partners um, are hugely important because they provide us with a raw material that really is exceptional. Then our um, client partners, the likes of Mark Hicks in London, we supply all Marks restaurants. Um, Fortnum and Mason who we supply exclusively with all the Denham uh, Shorthorn and, and a lot of their lamb now and uh, cured products in one tier they, they, they're about as good a partner as, as 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 you will have so we're hugely privileged and um, we have um, product um, out in Hong Kong and Macau and um, as you say down to the Algarve and one thing and our so we're, look, we're very very um, privileged and fortunate to um, have those opportunities but and you have good partners they pull you along um you know in 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 their own way and we've been um, we've been very fortunate over the years to um be able to establish wonderful relationships with the people we work with and um yeah we're 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 truly delighted about that
0: and you mentioned the salt chamber that you have there in Moira but there's also a salt chamber in the meat locker which is one of Michael Dean's restaurants in Belfast
4: yeah, we haven't a working um, chamber there, but what we have done is um, we've tried to put um, a chamber there that gives people an idea of of, of what it is. Um, what we try and do is um, convey the story. This isn't a marketing ploy or anything like that. It's all about just letting people understand what the process is. We we care passionately about it, as does Michael and our farmers and one thing or so. You know what we want to do is try and visually show them what, what what it is about and um, Michael is go, going doing a refurb now shortly I hope I'm not speaking out of turn and, and, and Himalayan salt as I say is one of the features of it um, yeah, it it, it it produces a lovely um, finished product and um, it's recognised and used by people like Michael who are at the top of their game and we've a lot of other wonderful um, chefs in Northern Ireland who are using it, this is our backyard and we're very very grateful to them and far too numerous to mention um, each individually but we're enormously grateful to them for, uh, for supporting um, their local food, the local farmers the local producers and one thing and we hope that they benefit enormously from doing that.
0: August is love meat, that's the theme for the Northern Ireland year of food and drink. So what would you say to people that are maybe coming up to Northern Ireland to visit the area and whenever it comes to food what do you think they should be partaking in?
4: Well, first of all um, the first thing I'd say is they'll be enormously welcome um, we're, we're, we're hugely grateful for people who take the time and come to um, visit Northern Ireland, we've a lot of lovely things, we're kind of a, a new destination um, as such um, and you know, people that we speak to that come into our, we've a wholesale outlet at the shop and a lot of people when they're on the way home just call in and pick up their um, meets and one thing and go, and we speak to a lot of them, and they seem to enjoy themselves enormously. Here. Belfast um, and Northern Ireland, in general has changed enormously in the last number of years, and I would encourage anybody um, and everybody, as I say, to come and see. We have a very, very uh, vibrant destination now in Northern Ireland. And um, everybody will be more than welcome. We will feed you terribly, terribly well. I promise. <laughs> we have uh, we've got great, great shellfish. Look, the island of Ireland is is, is very unique in that. There. We produce wonderful um, meat, wonderful shellfish, and one thing and another. And we have a lot of um, chefs here, very much at the top of their game. And um, you know, you you will be welcome. It's very affordable. One thing or especially the way the currency is right now. So we would encourage people to come and visit us, and um, come and see us. We will, we will feed you well. You will be made most welcome, and um, hope that if you do, that you enjoy it enormously.
0: Fantastic. Now, before we let you go, we have to ask you: your four sets of three stars. One of those will one of those be the supreme champion in in September?
4: Oh, God. Um, look, they always say it's once in a lifetime. Our, our our spin at it was in 2012. We were very fortunate enough to win the Supreme Championship with our cured pork jowl, which we call Gwen Charlie. Um, we were very, very um, delighted um, to win it. And we were there indeed last year to um, support Pat Whelan. Pat, of course, won it last year with his magnificent dripping and one thing. And we hope we'll all be um, in. London on the 5th of September and I just wish so um, well to whoever does manage to lift the Supreme it doesn't have to be us um, but to all the Golden Fork winners and to whoever is the Supreme it really is a life-changing it is a life-changing achievement Um, and I want Um, experience after it was like I could only describe it as a tsunami I mean you're on a world stage of food and anybody who gets the length of there, you don't have to win it anybody who gets the length of there, it is a tremendous achievement Um, and there are many many, there's 130 or 143 stars, any of which um, would be a worthy supreme champion Um, so we would just wish everybody from wherever, um, whatever region whatever country we would wish them the very best. We've been there, we can tell them all about it and it is just the most wonderful thing. So um we wish everybody very well September the fifth in London.
0: Very gracious of you now, Peter. Well listen, all the very best. We will be keeping an eye out to see who does indeed take away the, the Supreme Champion title and it would well, be great. It
4: would be wonderful if it came to Ireland again. Of course it, it absolutely,
0: wonderful. yep. To keep I it keep it in the country.
4: Literally a dream come true in Eurofood if it were to come to Northern Ireland but wouldn't it be great if it came across well I think it looks very comfortable on this island, That's a, that big fork I think it does, so as I say I wish everybody well and I hope somebody brings it back
0: Fantastic, Peter, great to talk to you tonight
4: You too Sharon Thank you very much and best wishes
0: Cheers, chin chin
2: Salut, Schleiter.
0: Sadly that brings us to the end of tonight's show which will be on the podcast later in the week soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe to it free of charge on iTunes or use the podcast app. Thanks so much for your company and of course to all of this evening's guests Trisha Kelly, Shauna Gwynn, Daniel Klein and Peter Hannon. Until next week when we'll be clinking glasses with Ron Forrestal. all being well Bon Appetit